thank you all for coming tonight. Uh, tonight's topical study is going to be continuing in evangelism, and it's going to be the gospel in creation. Josh, as always, is going to be leading the topical study, taking us through the, the meat and potatoes of it. But first, it's going to pray for us and all that stuff. So, um, yeah, just, just take it away whenever, Josh. All right. Let's pray. God, thank you for the surety of your word and the confidence we can have in your truth. Help us to understand it and make use of it first in our own lives, in our own minds, in our own hearts, and then to bring that truth to others. Amen. All right. Well, welcome back. We missed a week, but that's okay. We're picking up where we left off, which uh, is in our teaching series on evangelism. And last time we went over the basics of the gospel, which, again, very basics. And the goal, again, to reiterate, is to provide you uh, with some literacy, so lack of a better term, in the way in which the truth of, of the good news impacts every area of your thinking and every area of your life such that you can then, in a very natural fashion, weave that into your conversations with other people. And what we've been doing, uh, for those who are new or returning but haven't been a part of this yet, uh, after a brief time of teaching, I am setting up a sort of uh, encounter where you all can practice talking to someone who is very, uh, not always very clearly, but can become uh, very clearly uh, through the conversation that they are not a Christian. And if you'd have a chance to, to implement not only these tools, but also the ones that we covered the first half of the year. So if you weren't there for that, tough luck, I guess. Uh, but they are all recorded um, on the apologetic side. So we've, just to recap, the two sides of, of the coin here, apologetics on one and evangelism on the other. Apologetics is the deconstruction of unbelieving thought, unbelieving worldviews, non-Christian worldviews, and then evangelism is just the other side of the same coin where it is the re replacement with the truth. Um, it's not enough to simply point out inconsistencies or contradictions with what someone believes, but you have to follow it up with the truth. You have to proclaim the gospel. We talked about the gospel being God's power for salvation to all who believe. 
And that is quite true. So what I am going to do over the next couple of weeks is, is go over how you can see the gospel in different parts of, of the biblical story. And this will intersect eventually with what we'll, we'll do next after this, which is systematic theology. Um, some would say that what's called biblical theology and systematic theology are opposed to one another. But the reality is that these two things are, are hand in hand. Now, when I say biblical theology, I don't mean a theology that is biblical. It's a discipline, an area of study uh, where, where scholars and theologians and folks like that study in particular the overarching narrative of the Bible, the story that it's telling, and, and how the, the Bible is to be treated as a whole unit, um, as a self-contained, consistent story, a true one, mind you. Don't mistake the word story for me implying that it's not true. Uh, but that's the area of biblical theology. And systematic theology, which is what we'll be really diving into, is not opposed to biblical theology, though some would try to make these two enemies, but rather it is the systematizing of the things that you learn from the story. So we learn about God's holiness across the whole biblical narrative. And so uh, the, the systematic side is to try to distill all of the Bible's teachings on God's holiness into a uh, single presentable unit of thought. Having good grounding in both of these areas will help you in just your Christian life in general, but also and particularly for our purposes here, talking about evangelism. So over the next few weeks, we're going to look at how the gospel is displayed through different parts of the biblical narrative, and we're starting with the beginning, with creation. One of the most important texts in the whole Bible, and that's, you know, silly to say in some senses, the whole thing's important. But in terms of ones that, that you need to be familiar with, you need to know and understand the implications of, are the first few words, in the beginning, God created. First few words of the entire Bible have sweeping implications for all of reality, all of life, and for the rest of the Bible, for that matter. And you need to understand what those are. If that idea is not present in your thinking, you will go wrong in all kinds of places. If you do not believe that God created, in the beginning God created, that before creation there was nothing just uh, except for God. Um, it's not like God and nothing existed because nothing is no thing, but rather uh, just God. And then he creates all else that is, all else that will be, uh, he makes it. Having that belief is the beginning of what separates Christianity from every other worldview and what supplies the necessary foundations for the Christian worldview to sustain consistency 
when you begin to analyze and examine other other areas of thought. This is what allows uh, many of, of the critiques that one can level against unbelieving and, and non-Christian worldviews uh, for those to not apply to the Christian one. That's the, the start of it. Uh, and really the end of it, if we define our terms carefully, uh, can be contained in these first words of Genesis. In the beginning, God created. So I want to walk through a couple of implications of this and, and then attempt to show very briefly here uh, how the gospel can be seen in the creation story. But a first important implication is that God is absolute and all else is contingent. God is absolute and all else is contingent. And what do I mean by those two words, absolute and contingent? By absolute, I simply mean that uh, God is God and there's, he, he depends on nothing for his existence as God. So uh, God does not come into existence. He does not go out of existence. He never will. Um, he, and he does not depend upon anything outside of himself to be anything that he is. And it's very important to understand that because Christians will say really stupid, and I, I don't use that word thoughtlessly here, really stupid things about God sometimes in their evangelism. For example, something along the lines of, uh, God needed someone to love, so he made you. No, that's preposterous and ridiculous. The God of the universe who speaks and calls that universe into being by the sheer force of his will and power does not need you in order to be loving. The doctrine of the Trinity fills in that gap very readily. God does not need anything that he has made. He doesn't need it. He wanted it to be there. It's a very important distinction. And the second thing in this statement is that all else is contingent. What does that mean? Well, all else is in some way dependent upon, uh, once you push things back far enough, ultimately God, but in simplest terms, on something else for its existence. So God is the only absolute being. He's the only uh, entity in all, all of the that is, that does not depend upon anything outside of himself to be who and what he is. Everything else depends upon ultimately God, but even more contingently other things. You and I depend upon our parents existing in order to come into the world. As an example. Um, so, so there's all kinds of interrelated contingencies but all of those things ultimately are contingent upon God. The author of Hebrews, in the first chapter of his wonderful book, he, he says that, that, that Jesus Christ upholds all things by the word of his power. That everything that is, is not only made of words, but is upheld by words. Namely, God's words. 
So all else is contingent ultimately upon God, and God is not dependent or contingent upon anything. Second implication, God has creator rights. The clay cannot make an objection to the potter for its shape, for its purpose and function, for what God has molded it to be, because it is a clay and God is a potter. This is, in other words, the creator-creature distinction. There is an impassable, infinite chasm between you and God in terms of the kinds of things that you are. And this is implied by the previous statement that God is absolute and all else is contingent. Um, but there's more to it than that. The way that God is holy is not the way that you are holy. If you are a Christian, um, if you're not a Christian, then you're not holy. <laughs> the way that God is loving is not the way that you are loving. The way that God is powerful is not the way that you are powerful. There is a distinction between you, the creature, and God, the creator. This helps us avoid, again, many silly things that we might say. For example, if we try to use analogies to describe the Trinity, we'll get to this in the future when I finally cover the Trinity. I'm still reading um, to study for that subject. I would like to give it a very thorough treatment uh, this time around. Uh, when, when we try to use analogies of things that are made to describe God uh, in that way uh, regarding his triuneness, uh, those analogies fail every time. Why? Because God did not make anything that reflects that aspect of who he is. He just didn't. There's nothing that does it. And I think that's purposeful to keep us from the idolatry that we're already prone to. But this implication here of the creative creature distinction is vital uh, to being able to answer so many different objections to Christianity. That, that God is not like us. And yet the wonderful news of the gospel is that he then takes on a human nature that is like ours. Yet that human nature is not elevated to deity and as deity is not brought down by this union. And that is part of our good news. But we're just talking about implications at the moment from in the beginning God created. And so, creator-creature distinction. Thirdly, God designed the world and, therefore, us to be a certain way for a particular purpose. Again, if you've got this in your head, walking, when, when you're thinking, walking into a situation, talking to somebody who's hostile to Christianity, you're, you're thinking through uh, all kinds of contemporary kerfluffles out there or even just thinking through different areas of, of, of other kinds of disciplines in the world like science um, or math or uh, art even uh, this idea very helpful that God made the world firstly and that he, he designed it he designed it he, he made it intentionally with purpose and, and 
and us as well to be a certain way. And he made us to fulfill a particular purpose. Now, I'm not talking about some kind of esoteric, like, what's your des- your particular destiny that God made you for? No, that's goofy. It's silly. No, again, ways in which we can take a truth and run in the wrong direction with it. Um, the, gen- the, the, the general purpose of humanity. I think the uh, authors of, of, of the Westminster documents uh, do the greatest job distilling the biblical teaching on this in their statement, what is the chief end of man? And end there means design and purpose. And their answer is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And, and if you've got that, again, in your head, thinking through things, walking into a, a conversation or a situation, um, you'll be able to provide sound biblical responses to lots of different things that people might bring to the table. Um, and when we talk about the fall, we'll talk about the counter statement to that, which is the chief sin of man is to glorify himself and enjoy himself forever. But we're not there yet. Fourthly, God made all things good, but not best. This is a very important distinction, but again, this is going to help thinking through responding to things. God makes all things good in the beginning. This is a very clear statement from Genesis 1. He makes something, he calls it good. He makes something, he calls it good. He makes man, he calls him very good. But not best. That's a, a distinction there that that comes later in the new creation. Why do I say that? Oh, is this some kind of judgment, a heretic this whole time? No. Uh, something can be created good and have a goal and intention that then becomes better. If God made it best initially, then the whole world would have been immediately filled with the image bearers of God and all the, the grounds would be worked and kept. But no, he makes man and woman in the garden and then tells them to be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth with his image and to work and keep his garden. And the goal there is that it spreads to the whole world, but he doesn't start it that way. So it's good, but not best. And the best actually comes even later because God made the world knowing the fall is coming. It didn't surprise him. It didn't shock him when Adam and Eve sinned and rebelled against him. Um, and, and so baked into the cake of reality is the gospel itself, that, that Christ would come as the second Adam and restore and make new create all of creation. And that new creation is better than the first. It's not just a return to Eden, but it is a ascension to a city, from garden to city, to the new Jerusalem. All right, so there's your four implications of in the beginning God created. God is absolute and all else is contingent. God has creator rights. Uh, over his creation, he can do what he wants with it because he is creator and we are creatures. Thirdly, God designed the world and us to be a certain way and for a particular purpose. That purpose is that we glorify him and enjoy him forever. Fourthly, God made all things good but not best. 
All right. Now, what about the gospel in creation? The subject matter of uh, our title for tonight. Well, we start in Genesis 1 with a picture of the Trinity. We, we have uh, the, the, the Father speaking his word, Christ, the Son, uh, and the Spirit hovering over the waters of the deep. We see this happen again with the incarnation of the Son, where the Spirit hovers in a similar fashion uh, over the waters of a womb, which is... So, so creation gives us uh, these structures that the rest of the story is going to follow. So we need to follow these first opening scenes very closely because that structure is going to repeat itself over and over again throughout the rest of the Bible. And if you miss it at the beginning, you're going to miss the purpose for stuff later. So, so we start with the Trinity. Then we get all of, all of creation culminating. So, so the, the first stages of history uh, things are made. There's some significance there. I don't have time to exegete all of Genesis 1 here. Um, and then it, it culminates at the creation of man and woman. And the man is made first, and then the woman, and that's significant. And the woman is made out of the side of the man he is put into, back down to the dust from whence he came. And then his side is pierced, and the woman is taken out of his side and formed from it and then given to him. As incredibly significant for what happens later. Where in the second Adam, Jesus Christ is put down into death, but this time for real. Adam is put to sleep, Christ is put to death, his side is pierced, and out of his side um, is formed his bride, the church, the people of God who are saved by his death and his life. And then that bride is. Uh, washed and purified because unlike Eve, she's got problems and then presented in splendor in a similar fashion. And so the man, the second Adam comes first and then the woman comes and we're, we're in, in the, the part of history in which the bride is being formed still because there's people still becoming Christians. So we've got some of those gospel-type pictures here in Genesis. We have the marriage of Adam and Eve, which we're told in Ephesians chapter 5. Paul explains the purpose and intention of marriage was always to teach us something, uh, a deeper something about reality, namely about Christ and the church, and some of those things I was just explaining, how that's pictured there. We have Sabbath rest. This is very important. Um, it says that God rests on the seventh day. Now, was God tired? No. No. That's not the point of that. The point was to, again, introduce a structure to the story that we have to track with throughout the rest of it. That uh, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God to enter into, namely uh, that that. God resting from his work means that uh, creation is in right fellowship with him. There's a completion to things. 
well, things went bad in the initial completion. And so that rest, that peace is disrupted. And the rest of the story is about it being restored. So um, for one example, there are many, uh, we see that the instructions given to Moses when the people are enslaved in Egypt is to let the people go out. Why? To hold a feast and to worship their God. They had been laboring and enslaved for 400 years. And God comes in, steps in and, and says, Moses, bring this message to Pharaoh that he is to, it wasn't even to free them totally at that point. It was to let them go out to, to cease working, to rest, to enter Sabbath rest. And what does Pharaoh say? No, go back to your burdens. So, so God has, God designed the world to be a pattern of work and rest, but that rest is central because it is a, uh, a, 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 day in which the peace of God is recognized, celebrated, and enjoyed by the people. We see uh, that disruption of this Sabbath is, is the goal of sin and Satan throughout Scripture. Um, we see the accusers of Jesus accuse him of violating the Sabbath because they had twisted the Sabbath in a different direction um, rather than it it being explicitly violated by just continuing to work, uh, they had created new ways of working that were pretend rest. And Jesus says, no, my father is working, so I'm working. I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. That, that's a declaration of his deity. God is the Lord of the Sabbath. He establishes the Sabbath rest. It is centered around him and the worship of him. So, so these structures in creation follow through the rest of the, the plot of Scripture. And if, if we miss that, we're, we're going to miss a lot of really important things. But the structure of creation also tells us the whole, uh, again, um, it, it follows the, the plot of the gospel that we kind of outlined last time, creation, fall, redemption, restoration. This happens and I'm going to get ahead of myself a little bit to show this, uh, but in the first three chapters of the Bible, you have all three of these pictured ahead of time. You have the initial creation, obviously. You have the fall in Genesis 3. And in Genesis 3, alongside the curses of Adam and Eve, you have very clearly, unequivocally stated a promise of redemption, that a seed of the woman will come and crush the head of the serpent. And then you have the promise of restored fellowship when rather than killing Adam and Eve, he, uh, God kills an animal instead, a substitute, a confirmation of this promise, and restores them in some sense in, in this uh, act to a temporary means of peace. That an animal is slain to bring a temporary ceasefire between them and God rather than them being slain in that moment. In the day of you eat of it, you will die. There's a sense in which they did die, but there's a sense in which they did not. And, and that sense in which they did not was uh, pictured there by the slaying of the animal. The first 
death in the universe is caused directly by God. Slays the animal and clothes them in its skin. So the garments are given. They are clothed. This is pictured again. End of the book. Flip, flip from Genesis 3 all the way to the back. And in Revelation, there's much discussion about clothing. Being robed in righteous robes. Being clothed by Christ. That, that we should go to him for our garments. And again, this is, um, this is a picture that maintains all the way through. And if, if we miss it in the beginning, we'll miss it's, it's the significance of it later on. So we have creation, fall, redemption, restoration all here in the beginning. So, that being that, make sure that I didn't miss something that I intended to say. All right, I have not been reading chat. Let me just flip through. Okay. All right. So that is end of the teaching. Just making sure that I didn't miss any questions and did not miss anything I was trying to say. Cademan has a question. What is your question? Before we go into the... Uh, belligerent section of our study. <laughs> I'm just going to hop up here because I don't know if I have time to type it out. <laughs> uh, it'll be faster if I just say it. Um, so you, I really like what you had to say. When you started saying the good, not best, that sort of got me. I was like, hold up a little bit. Then I thought about it, and I think I get it. Um, so in the in the I was reading actually earlier about this um, in the Hebrew sort of, uh, I think it's ontology of, of, of the word that's actually used there for good. Um, it means something more along the lines of this is functional. Like this works, I guess, is a comparable thing. And it carries like an implication of moral good, but it's not like explicitly. So it's more to the effect like this works really well. It's more about its design and function yeah. than it is about it. Yeah. Okay. So, that, yes. so I, was, I just want to make sure I wasn't out of line there with that thinking. Because that was the only way I could see like the good, not best thing working out is if, if the word we're actually using good, you know, refers mostly to their function. So, yeah. That, yeah, correct. Uh, and that, that's an important point of clarification as well. Um, because as we see, Adam and Eve have the capacity to sin, which that is a function that will not be possible in the new creation for the, the Christian, anyway. Um, okay. So, yeah. Good question. Um, in, in, can you re-ask, because I don't know what I was saying when you asked that question, and it was a 
Um, can you rephrase it for me? It might help I'm trying to answer it. What didn't God create? What that? Yeah. I, I don't understand the... Yeah, there, you might be missing a word there. I'm trying to... Understand what you're asking. What didn't God create that reflects on him? Do you mean Okay. Um I'm still not sure that I understand the question completely. If there's a a way to add to it or rephrase it that might help me here. It's it's probably me and not you. I've 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 been awake for a long time. <laughs> but my brain isn't things aren't firing uh on all cylinders. worries if if you want to ask later i'll can try to try to be more helpful than i'm being at the moment all right well it is time so for those who haven't been here for this um If you've gone the last few weeks, we will prioritize people who haven't gone yet before we let you go. And I'm talking to you, Graceful Fire and Cademan. <laughs> um, but if no one else volunteers, then then you're up to bat. That's just that's how it'll go. Um. Uh, let me see. I might be able to answer this question now. Uh, in in is there something that God created that doesn't reflect Him? Uh, there's nothing that God created that doesn't glorify Him. Um, but there are certainly things that He made that don't. I, I guess it depends on what you mean by reflecting. Um, there's only one type of thing made in his image, directly in his image, and that is humanity, man and woman. Um, but yeah. Hello, brother. Oh, hello. You have a question before we go, before we start? I do have a, I do have a question. Um, okay. So it was kind of spurred on after what Cage, uh, Cademan, uh, said, or, or your answer to a Cademan's question. 
about Adam and Eve, how they were had the ability to sin and how it's different in heaven. Um, is that also because I, I asked in the past uh, different people about like how God ordained, like kind of, so how did they choose to sin if total depravity didn't exist yet? Or did it still, that's total, what kind of... Total depravity is not, is not the ability to sin. Is it the ability to choose God? Total depravity means that your nature is fallen and such that uh, you will not and thereby cannot choose the good. And then for Adam and Eve, they just had the ability they, to they could have They could have chosen the good. They didn't. Okay, and it's different when we're in heaven from Adam and Eve's state because of Christ. Yeah, and it's different for you right now if you have a new heart. Oh, oh, okay. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> um, it just, it gets better. That's the... <laughs> yeah. Just, um, all right. Yeah. Well, could you, could you go into the now a little bit more? Obviously, if you're born in Christ, you have new desires and you don't want to sin. Um, you desire what Christ wants, but uh, is that kind of what you mean when you say now? Yeah, that's what I mean. Okay, so that you, right. you you can you're you're free from enslavement to your sinful nature, and while it still exists, you can actually, you know, not sin. <laughs> it's a it's a, it's an actual option now, where it wasn't before. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, is it okay not to sin and want life at the same time? It's okay not to... Yeah. Um, I'm, yeah, I'm not sure I completely understand. Okay. If you understand Boneless, I don't want to sin. Well, good. <laughs> but I don't want life. Okay. D do you mean that you're contemplating suicide or you don't want... Okay. Just I, I have to ask that because of the way the statement was phrased. Because, yeah, it's a serious thing. I'm not entirely sure um, what you mean by pass God's test and be left alone. Can you expand on that? Because I don't know. Is, I guess, what, what, what do you mean by God's test? 
I think I understand what's being mentioned here. So it's live the Christian life, and then correct me if I'm wrong, and then, and then just cease. Like, you did it, and you don't want to partake anymore. There's no eternal life kind of a thing. There you go. The mighty English well, I, translator sure. has spoken. Okay. Oh, Graceful Fire also has something to say. I should bring. Yeah. Well, I, I, I just before anyone says anything, I just want to give Inan a chance to explain further. Oh well. Um. Okay. So he did get it right. Um. Well, you, you don't get that option. Everyone's immortal. It just depends whether you live forever under God's judgment or whether you live in God's Sabbath rest. That's those are the options. <laughs> I didn't write the book. I'm just <laughs> explaining what it what it says. Um, if you don't desire that. life currently being bad isn't indicative of what life would be like in eternity, I guess, is an important distinction to make. Um, and a, a very important thing to for, for every Christian to understand and know and believe um, is that it is not on the basis of our life lived that we have peace with God, but on the basis of the life that Jesus lived. And that peace that we have with God through the life and death of Jesus brings us into unity with the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And that it is that union and unity that we get to enjoy forever with God's people and with God himself. And if that doesn't entice you toward eternal life, I don't know what will. And if it doesn't entice you toward eternal life, then you do, yeah, reading the Bible more is, is the answer and, and finding that God is worth living forever for. <laughs> this, the, the creator that I've been describing in Genesis uh, is good and true and beautiful and worth being with and around forever. Um, if he wasn't, then heaven would be kind of pointless. The new creation would be kind of pointless. It would just be more of the same. But it's not, and the reason it's not is because of the rest that we enter into, the peace of God that we have with him. Um, so...
Yeah. Read the Bible more. It's a good self-recommendation you have. I would encourage it as well. If you don't know where to start, feel free to ask and we can point you in the right direction. All right. Let's rumble. John's a great place to start. If you're already in it. Luke Acts is also, I would, I would put on the same level of good places to start. There's some things in John you might not understand. Like I was saying earlier, unless you've been following the plot for a bit. Same thing with Luke and Acts, but... Um, yeah. All right. Who's up first? We do have a whole Bible study through John that you could listen to to help you out. Taught by this fellow right here. Hello. Hello. Is it is it time to time to rumble? Yeah. I think it is. Okay. Which which character am I going to get today? Uh, which one do you deserve? Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And uh, those who are popping in and out or may have come in uh, just recently, this is the part where I will pretend to be an absolute pagan. So anything I say here is not me, not being serious, and I will not say anything that I could not myself provide a sound objection uh, to. Um, or refute myself as Josh. So um, I'm not playing up a difficult character to try to dunk on people. Um, I'm saying things that I've I've got answers for. So um, if I say anything that shakes you at all in your own faith, don't let it <laughs> talk to me, please. I recognize that's an inherent danger of doing this kind of thing is that I could accidentally be compelling and convince someone to you know, abandoned aspects of their Christianity if they think, you know, don't re recognize that I have an answer to the, th the argument I'm making. All right, qualifications out of the way. Hello, Mr. Gustain. Hello, how are you doing today? Uh, I'm doing all right. Yeah, that's uh, it's good to hear. Uh, yeah. I'm just, I'm just going to roll right off the bat. What's your worldview? <laughs> What's my what's my what worldview? You mean understanding of the world? Uh, well, I mean, you could have asked my name first. No, we'll uh, just move. <laughs> sorry, sorry. Um, it's it's not Billy. I promise. It, okay, I've I've had some bad encounters with Billy before. What's um, <laughs> what's your name? Uh, my name is Jimmy. Jimmy, nice to meet you. How do you spell Jimmy? Just out of curiosity. J-I-M-M-Y. Okay, normal spelling. It's kind of, you know, I'll just mention, it's kind of weird that you knew my name right off the bat, but um, we'll, we'll, we'll keep rolling. It's fine. We don't have to move we on. We don't that. need to dwell on, on, yeah. on these types of things. We can, yeah. we can move on. Yeah, so let's uh, question at hand. What's, uh, what's your worldview? Uh, well, I believe in the Christian worldview. Okay. Uh, can you expound on that a little bit? Sure. I am in the uh, 
thought tradition of the Reformation. Thought tradition. Okay. Um, uh, what, what do you mean by, by thought? You just, you just pose yourself as just a reformed Christian, Reformation, all that stuff. Well, I, I would, I, oh, I, I myself am not a Christian. You were asking what my worldview was. <sighs> oh, okay. That's, um, seems a little contradictory in my head. Well, I, it's not contradictory at all. I'm, I'm, I'm a staunch Calvinist. I just don't think I'm elect. Okay. Uh, and what qualifications do you have yourself to make that claim? Because I myself, uh, I'm a, I'm a staunch Calvinist too. So I think we'll have some. Well, know, my God, God hasn't saved me yet. So I, I don't have any reason to think I am because he hasn't, he hasn't done anything. And I've tried to repent, tried to believe, prayed. Um, nothing happened. My life didn't change. My heart didn't change. I still sin in the same exact ways I've always done. And I, I can't just find myself hating God for all kinds of things. And yeah. Okay. Um, so let's, let's unpack this a bit more. You, you have a, the fully Calvinist worldview. You understand sin and its repercussions and you understand god created the world and that we are saved through christ and it's only by christ's means on the cross and uh atoning for our sin that we may be children of god right? we can we can put that clearly out there right he just didn't atone for my sin so I'm not okay let, let's let's put a pin in that um this I'm going to be honest, um, this is a very interesting take, but you have no real basis to say that. Like, well, what, I, is, I what, is, to, what is stopping you from... And believe and I just, what do you mean by repent and believe? I, I've, I've tried to stop sinning and to believe that jesus died for me and i and i just i I can't do it well so let's dive into the the can't do it part what what do you mean by you can't totally degrade i can't do it and so and so until god you know makes my heart you believe that right Till god makes my heart new i can't do it right well yes is something i believe but it is also something that i think you are letting doctrine almost you're letting doctrine impede salvation where that's not how it should really be built you're you're coming to this with a a pre understanding of election and things like that and then saying that so you, you don't can't believe, be elect so you don't believe that i can't so do you believe that I, I should just do the same exact thing that I've already tried, which is tried to pray and repent? Uh, yeah, I would, I would definitely encourage you to repent and believe in the gospel. Um, it is... But I can't. Uh, I've tried it so many times. So walk me through your manner and uh, manner of repentance and what that looks like. Uh, so I... 
try to stop sinning. I've got some of those, you know, sins. I try to start believing that Jesus died for me in particular, but it doesn't seem to do anything. I'm still sinning. I'm still uh, just, I, I don't believe it. I try to believe it, but I can't, I can't believe it. I, I don't, I just, you can't and since believe it, it. Since, since it's not working, I, I don't think I can repent. So it's a, it's a gift of God and he just hasn't given it to me. So I'm just, what, what, what do I do? I don't know. So you, you are putting a lot of focus on your repentance. You've tried to stop repenting and you've tried to stop sinning. Um, and you're attempting to do so by what it sounds like you're really your own means. Like you yourself are just trying to tackle on your sin. Correct? There, there is, that is the, you know, the whole, whole repentance summed up for you. It's just well, what, all by your own What else am I supposed to do? Not, um, not repent? No, that's not what I'm saying at all. Um, what I'm do I just wait? Do I just sit there and not do anything and wait for God to, to no. make me repent? You don't. It's isn't that what you believe, though? You're a Calvinist. No, that is that's not what I believe. I mean, you can you can put doctrine like that out there, but doctrine should never stop you from um, from coming we to repentance consistently with with our doctrine. I I believe it is consistent with the doctrine because with. You know the doctrine that I would espouse. And, so you and believe talk that about. I can't repent, but that I need to. No, I mean I believe that you can repent. You are you. How do I put this? If I'm totally depraved, I can't repent, right? Um, if you are totally depraved, that. Let, let's let's set doctrine aside for a second. Let's go back Isn't to everything doctrinal. Well, let's set this particular doctrine aside for a second, um, and let's go back to the Bible, which will consistently tell you to repent and believe. It's a, a yeah, command and I, from and Scripture. I, I tried it, and it's not working. Um. I'm still confused and sorry for, I guess, continually harping because I'm trying to, I, I want, I think that there's, you know, something a bit deeper that might, might help, um, that, um, oh, sorry, I gotta, let me, let me click off a of chat real quick. I keep being distracted by it moving. Oh yeah, I I recommend this to everyone. Do not have chat open while we're doing this. You will get very distracted. Um, Focus. You say that you can't, and uh, setting aside predestination, all all that other stuff, and just coming the framework of the the simple command in Scripture telling you to repent and believe is your qualification for it not working that you will come back to sin 
in the future or that all your sin is not just gone up in an instant and you're not uh you're not perfect or what what is your at what point do you try repentance and then you say this this isn't working i can't physically do this well i i can't even repent of my most basic problem which is that i don't i can't seem to seem to come to the belief that that jesus died for me i know he died for his elect but i i see but you you don't know who the elect are you're letting seem to me me i'll tell you that okay <laughs> you're, you're letting doctrine really put a front against the most basic commands in scripture You're, you're, you're allowing, or you're really putting it forth almost as a barrier to avoid repentance or belief. How, how would you say that, that you can't believe, yet you, yet you believe that Christ died on the cross and Christ is also calling to repentance. He gives clear commands to repentance. Yes, and I try to obey those commands, and I can't repent. Okay, the, the belief. What is, what is the... Is the fact that you are so sure of you not being elect stopping you from belief? Or would you say that your inability to repent is then indicative of your lack of belief? Can you repeat the question? So I'm, I'm trying to, you know, ask kind of the source of how things flow. So is it first you come to the conclusion that you cannot believe therefore you abandon the repentance or is it first you attempt to repent and believe realize that you cannot repent and abandon belief i think that it's both depending on the day or it's one or the other one or the other it, i think it starts out as the second one and then i kind of get caught up in the first after a while Okay, so you get you get caught up in, uh, so you say after a while. So would that be, say, you have been repenting for a month and then you get caught up in your belief, or what do you mean yeah, by after a while? Like I I I I start to conclude that I'm not elect after failing repentance so many times. Okay, and then I stop trying to repent because I begin to believe that I'm not elect. So let's go back to failing repentance. What yeah. what does that necessarily mean to fail repentance? Well, I try to turn away from my sin and I then I find myself sinning again and again and again, the same thing over and over. Okay. Paul finds himself in sin in Romans seven. And he oh, finds there's that alternative he's, interpretations to that text. He's talking about his well, life as an unbeliever. Okay, okay. Hold on. So you think that the Christian uh, will be in a state of complete sinlessness in order for repentance and belief to be true for that person? 
Yes. Yes. Okay. Then that is a whole. Aren't other we thing. supposed to be holy as he is holy? Uh, I can't. I can't do it. I've been we, trying. We are. We're called to definitely live. Uh, live Christian lives. However, that doesn't it say that we are to be holy as he is holy? Um, you're going to have to probably if, give if, a. If, if, a if you try to reference. soften that, if you try to soften that, so our our holiness is found in Christ, though. So when 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 you're saved in Christ, you are. So why is that command given to Christians who are already to be holy? holy? State? Yeah, to be holy as He is holy is a command given to Christians by Peter in his by epistle. Peter. Uh, what so, you want to do you have a verse number to toss me for that sure first peter 116 peter 116 uh give me give me one second let me just let me just read up to here real quick Okay. Um, so this, uh, yeah, run me through how I guess you're interpreting this. You're you're interpreting this as a proof text for if you sin, you are not a Christian. Yes, and we also have uh, Matthew five forty eight as well. Matthew five forty. That says that we have to be perfect just as our Heavenly Father is perfect. So, uh, you know, if you're telling me to follow the basic commands, I'm, I'm trying. Okay, hold on. Okay. So... If you read this text as that, let, let's take the Matthew five, Matthew five forty eight text. Then no one can be saved because of the the standard of perfection. Because even if you come into God's family, you are coming a sinful and broken being one whose nature has been twisted and is pointed towards sin, you already do not meet the qualifications for perfection. Right. Yeah, and so... As, as, as a good Calvinist, that's exactly right. And so, I, I, so I'm waiting on a miracle, but I haven't gotten it yet. So. So, so you're waiting on a miracle 
to change you into a perfect being. Right? Yeah. That's how that so that is uh, not what you need. Because the perfect person has already lived and died and gives salvation to us, that person being Christ. You do not have to seek in yourself perfection. You do not have to seek inwardly or wait for a miracle for you to, for this uh, broken body, you know, made of flesh to become perfect. Christ has already lived sinlessly and he has already died on the cross for your sins. And Christ is the one by whom we come to the Father. It is through him, it is through his, his sacrifice, which is applied onto us, his atonement, which is applied onto us. It is not by you living the perfect life. It is not according to your own works that you are saved. It's according to the works of Christ. And Christ's works are perfect and holy. Okay, Bible man, but what do I do with those two texts? They seem to be telling me that I need to be perfect and holy. Um, you, uh, these two texts would encourage you to the end of, uh, of living Christian life and reflecting Christ more and more. But that doesn't mean that we now what, are held to... What must be mean in your world? Must be? Yeah. Um, yeah, which verse was that used in? Was that used in the... Matthew 5.48. You, therefore, must be perfect as your heavenly Father. Um, it is Christ's will who is applied onto us, or not his will, is it, his is that life. Is command or is it not? Are we expected to obey it or not? Um, hmm. I'm not sure. You're not I, sure. So, so when Jesus says that, you're not sure. But when he says repent and believe, you're very sure. And you keep telling me to do it. Which is it? <laughs> well hold on there could be there could be clear and like hard to deal with uh, like verses in the bible i mean how how much more clear does he need to be or is it that you're letting your theology drive your interpretation of the text and not interpreting the text itself it seems like I you're mean, the one stuck on certain doctrines well uh well we can go back to this this roman 7 one that you so quickly threw out as yeah, there, being there a different are valid scholars who interpret it differently than you do, so you need to review them. Do you know Greek? No, I don't. Great. Do you? No, but this guy does. So then, okay, all right. is this going to turn into a back and forth of which scholar <laughs> beats which scholar? Because I'd like to avoid that if possible. <laughs> we don't have to delve into those people. Yeah, my uh, my New Testament professor... Oh, okay, yeah. From seminary, Thomas Schreiner argues that uh, the structure of the passage leads to the conclusion that Romans 7 is describing Paul's pre-Christian experience. Okay, let me, um, you know, let me, let me, 
I guess I can do a Google search and say pretty much the same exact thing that you said, except uh, they argue that the structure is different and interprets that um, it is uh, during the Christian life. Great. So we have an unclear text, but we have a pretty clear one. You must be perfect as your father in heaven is perfect. So what do I do with it? Must be perfect as your father in heaven. You're trying to use an unclear and disputed text to interpret a clear text. Isn't that backwards from the analogy of fate that you learn in Reformed theology? Um, isn't it? Hmm. Um, repeat that. Sorry. Let me, I, I, I want to think about what you're saying real quick. You're using a disputed, unclear text, Romans 7, to try to interpret a very clear and straightforward text, Matthew 5.48. Okay. Um, so, what, what makes you think Matthew 5.48, was it 5.48, is a non-disputed text with what you're saying? Well, no, that's a very, we're supposed to use clear text to interpret unclear text. I haven't found multiple scholarly articles disputing the interpretation of Matthew 548, but I can find plenty disputing the interpretation of Romans 7. Okay. Um, Unless you just decided that, you know, no, I mean, there's no dispute to be had, but there is a dispute to be had about Matthew 548. I mean, we could certainly dispute about Romans seven if you want to, like that. I was uh, just, I, I was just saying I, I, that. I don't want to. But yeah, it would you're turn. Just, you're, you're trying to use that text to interpret. Matthew well, you, yeah, and what I'm saying here is that you are just marking that instantly as disputed, and then saying that Matthew five forty eight is not disputed from your interpretation or what whatever interpretation. Well, I mean, what 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 else does it mean? You must be perfect. Did Jesus not mean that we must be perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect? Um, doesn't mean it in the way that you're saying. <laughs> uh, that's, well, what does it mean? Uh, I'm not sure. You what what else could you must be perfect mean as your Heavenly Father is perfect mean? I think it would talk more to um, our new state in salvation. Then how is that a, then why, why is it a command and not a description? Um, I'm not sure. I guess put put a quick pin in this. I don't know how to deal with this text in this context. I guess. All right. Well, let's let's put a pin in the conversation. Good job, Justin. Thanks. Uh, uh, I gave you the hardest one. So well, oh, that no. I had created for tonight. Yeah, a special one just just to make my head hurt. So I actually pulled that one from um, a book I've been reading. So it's interesting. We we actually do need to prepare for this kind of thing because there's, you know, if if you're at least if you're as post millennial as I am, then 
at the very least, our great, great, great grandchildren will have to deal with people like that who are saturated in an environment that believes the Christian worldview. So there's not a bunch of other alternatives, but they are convinced that they're not elect, that they don't, they can't believe. This is what actually happened back in the um, 1800s during the Second Great Awakening. Um, I've been reading a book by Ichabod Spencer, and he was a pastor in Brooklyn, and he recorded a lot of his conversations with people. And that was one of them. <laughs> There's a person who is like, I can't repent. He's like, why? Because I'm not elect. And it's like, dude. <laughs> stop um yeah so it would be well worth our time at some point to go through those texts i don't want to do it tonight but just know like you you were on the right track well one presenting the gospel was the right move and that was good and i i it forced me to shift gears to try to pin you on out of context verses yeah and i don't know the context for matthew 5 48 so i was like trying to read and also talk to me like uh uh i don't know where to take this yeah so going into the con uh, basically it was the, the the move at some point there has to be uh we we, we just need to sit down and have a bible study like you, you just put a pin in the whole conversation say hey meet me g- give me a chance to go and study the text and let's meet back. Like it is. Oh, let me just say this for everyone. It is okay if you are stumped in a conversation like that to say, "Hey, I don't think you're right about what it means. Let me go home and study. Maybe you are, but I don't think you are. But I, 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 I haven't been reading it. You know, I, I didn't read Matthew five recently. So let me go now. If you know Matthew five is the Sermon on the Mount." which helps you a ton in understanding that particular text. And the first Peter one is a different story, but the Matthew five one is used by lots of different groups to argue for sinless perfectionism, which is a belief that if you're a Christian, you can't sin, you don't sin. Um, Yeah, so uh, there's a point where you just you just tell a person, "Hey, uh, I need to go and study the text because, I mean, or, or or we need to do it right here and open our Bibles. Let's look at it together and just read a good chunk of the context. Usually, the context, just reading it with the other person, will dispel whatever weird." thing they got going on um that that usually works and if it doesn't work it at least helps you try to figure out what's going on with it and you can get back to them later but if you don't know it's okay to say hey i don't know right now let me study it and if they don't agree to that then they're just being a jerk true um so yeah, but good job, good job getting to getting to the gospel, and um, yeah, I will. I need to go through those texts. You've um, left me with nowhere to go, Josh. 
I need I need the answers now. I'm just kidding. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Cass, do you have a question? And then, all right. While well, he's typing, uh, who wants to go next besides Cademan? And then, if no one else wants to go, then Cademan can go. Uh, N is asking, "What about we live in a life that God didn't mean for us to be in?" I'm not sure. Uh. Let me. This one. This one's easier for for me to answer. So I'll answer this one first because I'm. Uh, Cass, could there be a chance that free will and predestination both exist? They do, both exist. God has complete and total free will, and predestination exists. That's a bit of a cheeky answer for you, but uh. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, I, I, for real. I'll, I mean, that that is my answer, but let me explain it, I guess. Um, so, freedom of the will is a thing, but it's limited. It's creaturely. It's contingent. Um, I don't know if you were here for the first part of this teaching, um, but that was one of the things that we, we, we learn from Genesis 1 is that all other things are contingent and dependent upon God. And, and that is a critical factor to how we interpret the rest of reality. So when the Bible uh, you know, talks to us about and, and and to be clear, I, the role I was playing earlier was a bit of a fool, and, and he, he was a hyper, what was called a hyper Calvinist. And the hyper Calvinists are, the, the, they don't believe in evangelism, they don't believe in prayer. Um, they, it, it's it's a matter of uh, if you're elect, then you'll find yourself able to repent and believe, I guess. But uh, no one should try to convince or compel you in any way, shape, or form toward that. Um, because they don't, they're hard determinists. They just believe that everything is mechanistic and static, that God doesn't use means. He just kind of just everything goes to the end and then uh, to the end that it's made for automatically. And, and, and there's no means that he uses to propel it forward. Um, the actual biblical view, I believe, is that, that God has ordained both the ends and the means of uh, history. And, and so uh, in doing so, the free actions of his creatures are in view there. And, and they're genuinely free in the sense of that you and I are making a choice to do them. But they are constrained, confined, and defined by the ordination of God. I doesn't have to hold a gun to your head. 
to get you to do the thing that he ordained. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, it's defined, constrained, and ordained by God. That is correct. Yeah. If you can thwart God's will, then the Bible is wrong, in which Paul says you can't thwart God's will in Romans 9. <laughs> um, so we've got other problems. <laughs> that's the case all right uh who's next me i'm next i'm next it's me <laughs> all right i'm guessing no one else yeah. it's desirous <laughs> hey that's Graceful okay graceful wants to go but he was the other person that you said they couldn't go unless other people went. Okay. Me. All right. I have so you'll fairly soon. Or when I say fairly soon, I've got like 30 minutes. So. All right. I'm going to give you a choice here. Yes. Do you want yes. Timmy or do you want Kimmy? I want the girl. Are you sure it's a girl? Oh, gosh. Please don't. <laughs> it's. You've decided. Yeah, Oh, I'm you have chosen. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, I'll let you start as I, as is my custom. All right. Um, how am I going to do this one? <laughs> Girl, Hello. Hello. I am. I am Kimmy. And my pronouns are she, her. Okay. Hi, Kimmy. How are you doing today? I'm doing pretty well. <laughs> if, uh, you know, I just, I was reading my Bible this morning and I just really got a lot out of, you know, Jeremiah 29.3. It's just, it really speaks to me every day when I read it. It's the only verse I read usually. Hmm. Jeremiah twenty nine three. Eh. Do you um if if it's one of those ones that's your favorite and you read it every day, uh, do you know it by heart? And and could you say it to me? I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans to prosper you, and not to harm you. Okay. Isn't something, yeah. something like that. Yeah. Yeah, no, it 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 is something like that, um, and it's it, you know first first of all, don't get me wrong, it's great that you're reading your Bible, but I like to call that one of the uh, Jeremiah uh, twenty nine out of context because people use it uh, pretty out of context a lot of time. Uh, I think that while it is good to know that God has a plan for you, um, typically God is not you know. Like you're not a you know exiled Jewish person living in the seventh century BC. So it, in context, that's you know written and applied to people in during that time living in that 
very so yeah it, you know it's it's a good verse you you don't you said something about not reading any other verses uh i hope you don't like i hope that was maybe some overstatement you, if you do read your bible you read more than just that one verse right well you know it's i don't i don't I think the Bible is helpful, but I mostly worship, you know, through prayer and 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 just, you know, sitting and soaking, you know. Hmm. Yeah, um you know, prayer is a very powerful way to connect with God, but the thing about prayer is that prayer is two-sided and it's a conversation with God and Oh, you're the- right. It's true, but the best way to to hear the actual words from God is to read his word, which is what the Bible is. So um, I would definitely encourage you to. Oh, I I hear from him all the time. Well, does he say things that run counter to what the Bible says when you when you hear from him? Oh, well, I mean, it doesn't matter. It's not like it's not like he expects us to, you know, actually believe that all the Bible is to be taken seriously. Well, that's not quite true. Um, as as um, uh, hang on. Sorry, <laughs> I have a Bible at my desk, and I like to. Yeah, here we are. Um, as as it said in Second Timothy, it says all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. So all of the Bible is useful and beneficial, and in fact essential to hearing what God has to say. And God does expect us to take every bit of um, every bit of His Word at its value, because um, if you think about it, you. If you say that God can say one thing and that he can in the Bible and that the um, second thing doesn't have anything to do with it. So like if, for instance, God says, let if God says God, so the Ten Commandments, it says, do not murder. Right. Or don't commit adultery or don't have any other gods before me. So if God can be wrong in another area of the Bible or that, you know, another area of Scripture is not infallible or a, a foundation. And he can be wrong there too. You don't have any way to tell um, that it's true. So either it's all infallible or none of it is. And every bit of it is up for scrutiny. So, you know. Well, I, I, I think you're just taking things too literally. It's, it's things, there's spiritual principles that we're supposed to pull out of it, but we're not supposed to take it all completely literally. Well, then how do you know, how do you know then what to take literally and what not to take literally? What is your standard? For that well you know? we, we don't we don't take any of it literally it's like i said it's 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 spiritual you principles take the statement that god loves you literally so he could very much very well in your view of understanding the scripture not mean that and actually hate your guts well no you i, I, I don't I, I mean that 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 teaches us a spiritual principle uh, about god which is that he loves us and he loves us all equally and fully no matter who we are well, you know, that's that's true. But everything in the Bible is teaching about spiritual, uh, spiritual, spiritual principles, and, and namely a couple of there's three main ones that all of the Bible can be tied back to. That you know, 
God made the earth and God is the creator. That's a spiritual principle that he created all of us and he made us. The other spiritual principle, which I think you might, you might have, you may have heard of, it doesn't sound like from our conversation that you have, is that all humans are sinful and fallen before God's eyes. So no one. Well, we all make mistakes and are, you know, really broken. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Okay, but, you know, that's different from saying, as the psalmist says, no one is righteous, not one. You know, and that means nobody's efforts or actions can do anything to endear them to God. So, well, you're right. That's why he just loves us. He, if he didn't, then, then, you know, he just loves everybody. Okay. So what does that love entail practically? What does God do to fulfill that love then in your view? So does he, so let me ask you this. Does everyone get a free pass to heaven just because God loves everybody? Well, of course. Love wins. Oh, so you're a fan of Rob Bell. I'm sorry, who? So there's a guy named... <laughs> oh, come on, Josh. Come on. <laughs> come on. Come on. You can't. Look, nobody, I'm, I'm, I'm playing a transgender Zoomer. Zoomer. They don't know who Rob Bell is. But... <laughs> oh, okay. I just... I, I mean, maybe, maybe they do. I don't know. But I, I thought he was, wasn't popular anymore. He's, anyway. No, he might still be popular. He's on Oprah and stuff, so... <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, he's kind of cringy. This sounds like an Oprah person. <laughs> All right, let's get back into it. Okay, so I can I can point you to a number of things that are not true. So if everybody wins and everybody gets into heaven, then that means rapists and child molesters go to heaven too, um, and there's no justice. And believe me when I say this, you might you might say till you're blue in the face you're okay with that, but I think we all know that you're not okay with a world where justice is not done. You know, um, so if if you're if you were being <sighs> or hurt okay or i'm want. seeing where this is going next you're gonna tell me that i'm living a sinful lifestyle and i need to repent and and god hates me because i have a problem with you know i've i don't feel right in my body it, that's that's where you're going isn't it I'm not saying that God hates you. I'm saying that God is just as well as merciful. There's another spiritual principle, if we're talking about those, that you can pull from the Bible, that God is not only merciful and loves, but he is also just. And, you know, if if we're talking about heaven, you know, it, would you agree, first of all, with the statement that God is merciful, even though we're broken, he is merciful? Uh, well, of course, that that's why everyone gets the pass to heaven. Okay, well, you saying that God is merciful actually denies that previous statement, because if we're looking at what mercy means categorically, it means that you are given a pass on judgment, which if God is merciful, it means he's just naturally. So he, he knows what's right and he knows what's just. And he chooses you conservative Trump toting Christians are so said, prideful I, and hey, think hey, you hey, know hey. everything. I, I said nothing about Trump. I'm you don't even know what my political affiliations are. We have not gotten there yet. So bear with me. I have not said I've not mentioned Trump. I don't like Trump. As far as you know, let's let's keep it in context, okay? I haven't even I haven't even gotten there. I've not said anything. Oh, I have plenty of context for people like you. They've just been bullying me my entire life. Well, I'm not here to bully you, and that's that's not what that's not what I'm here for. That's you what know? you were just trying to do, just being I, all I, aggressive I, I, and assertive with me. Say, say anything aggressive. Look, here, here's the thing. 
let me let me get my point across and i want you to think about this this is this is a conversation we're we're reasonable people here we we know how to talk to one another just you know don't <laughs> we're not we're not children just because you hear something you don't like doesn't mean it's wrong so let me let me just let me say my piece um see so still yeah. being condescending you just can't help it can you no, no. hang on just can you can you remind me of where i was before you... <laughs> <laughs> Like I was, I was about to say something. I think about Justin. You were, and you just, you okay, just, okay, you, yeah, you, you, you took the bait. Okay, so, so here's here's the thing. In order for God to be merciful, He has to be just. So, in order for Him to show mercy to people who would otherwise be condemned, you know, He has to have a standard of condemnation. Otherwise, He's not merciful. He's just whatever. And also. Mercy implies that you only are merciful to a few. Like, if God had to be merciful to everybody, if everybody had to be saved, and everyone, if God was required because of his nature to save everyone, then it wouldn't be mercy. It would just be a different kind of justice. If you see what I mean? So, mercy implies the existence of only a few who are subject to it. It means that there is a limited atonement. That means that there's. Well, don't you, you think know, that Jesus died for everyone? I don't think that I don't I don't think that Jesus died to give salvation to every person in the way that you think it means. So let me let me describe it like this. I'm gonna go ahead and assume we're in college. Is that okay, Josh? <laughs> that's a that's a very correct assumption. Okay. Um so right, when we do papers, we have what's called a grading curve, right? Um so sometimes classes are really hard and the professor will just be like, you know what, we'll curve the grades up at the end just so I can get some people to pass, right? Um, so if we're looking at who God is and that, and we're talking about these spiritual principles that apply to him, we have to understand that God is just. And the message of the Bible is not that God came to earth to lower the grade curve and make the standard easier for people to quote unquote pass the class and get into heaven. If, if that makes any sense. So Jesus did not come to lower the grade curve and make it easier for us to get into heaven by some kind of work that we do, by being, quote unquote, good people. Jesus came instead to fulfill that and pass the class on our behalf and then offer to us a way forward, knowing full well that we do not meet the bar. And that oh, I completely agree with you. That sounds great. Right. But that means that the people who don't accept that sacrifice and that righteousness of Jesus as sufficient for them, they do not get to pass the class. The grade curve is not lowered for them because of what Jesus did. So the But if God's who, loving, then then he'll he'll give them another chance after they die, right? That's that's not true. He gives you plenty of chances in life. He doesn't need like he he gives you every chance from the moment that you're born. And what, what about all of the people who have never even heard about God or Jesus? Well, you know, um, as Paul says in Romans. Um, what about the people who are bullied like I was into thinking that God hates them because of who they are? What? No. Like, God does not hate you as a person that he made. What he hates is sin, and he hates sinfulness. and because. God loves people and wants them to be with him. He his his main thing is to get rid of sin so that they can be with him. So here's so the God thing. 
God doesn't hate the wicked and isn't angry with them every day. He is. He hates the wicked, but he hates them because of their sin. And he hates Okay, so God does hate me because of who I am, according to you. Are you, you saying you, that you are defined by your sin? Or if so, if well, you, you were, you, you you think I'm sinning, right? I do think you're sinning, and I have because I'm a, because I, you know, am trying to transition from being a a male to a female. You think I'm sinning, don't you? Well, hang on, you can restate that. Sorry, I was looking at chat. <laughs> Stop looking at chat. Yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> Uh, you think that I'm sinning because I'm trying to transition from male to female, don't you? Yes, I do. And I can... Great. I can... So you think that God is angry with me for who I am and hates me for no. who I am. So God is not angry with you for who for you For the way are. he made me. No, listen to me. God's angry with you because you're rejecting who he made you to be. He made you down to the very cellular and spiritual level to be in his image as a man he made you just as genesis said male and female he created them so god's not angry at you because you are being something you know that you know he wanted you to be he did not intend for you to be let me, let me rephrase that god did not make you to transition into a woman he made you as a man and he didn't make a mistake and if you believe that this god that we're talking about is loving and good you know you have to believe that he was loving and good in his purpose when he made you. He made you as a man. And the reason that he hates your sin, and notice that he hates your sin, is because you have said, basically stuck your middle finger up to God and said, you know what, you made me this way, but I don't like it, and I'm going to do my thing. And oh, Yeah, I've gladly done that to the God that you're describing, but the one that I believe in affirms me in who i am and who he made me to be but god did not make you to be a woman and if he made you to be a woman you would be sitting before me and you would be a biological woman that would be the case that would if think about it like the best way for god to make you as a woman would be to make you as a woman like do you see that we're the magic well that you're 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 defining what it means to be a woman according to just our biology but isn't it more than that no, it's not more than that. It's down, and it even goes down to the level of spirituality. It's, it's, Men and women it's, have. It's not spirituality. more than our biology. No, our manhood and womanhood are defined by God's image within us. And again, going back to Genesis, He made us male and female, and He made us in His image. So, our our biology is what God has made us as physically, and our biology is in harmony with. So wouldn't I be the best image bearer of God because I have a male body and a female spirit? No, that I don't know where you would possibly get that from. But so the, I think what you're having here is sort of a two-story dichotomy between, you know, the physical and the spiritual. And sort of in your view, there's a fracture between sort of this the spiritual quote or the, the mental quote unquote gender and then your physical body. God does not make people into these like split beings that have some kind of weird spiritual thing that is not in harmony with their physical being. So when God and what happens you, when we die? Because clearly the body decomposes and goes away. So do we just stop existing? 
that's no we don't and our spirit lives on but our spirit when we are alive and when we are here on earth is in harmony with our bodies and god makes it well mine is in harmony is in harmony with my body this and this is where we get into that is not a result of you know of god make it like so you were not made by god in a disharmony with your body Adam sinned at the beginning of time, at the beginning, when he was given a choice to love God and to spend eternity with him. Um, and he passed up his opportunity to, to you know, to, to live a, a life that was, you know, in union with God. And he brought a new curse into reality. So the division that you're talking about, where you don't feel like you are, um, you don't feel like you're uh, a man, and you don't feel like all these things you're talking about your feelings you're talking about these things and i'm telling you now that's not from god that's from the enemy that's the enemy telling you um you know that's the enemy lying to you and telling you that god didn't make you good enough god didn't make you the way that he meant to that's the enemy sitting there and whispering these lies into your ears about um who you are and that you can't buy that you can't let that define you that's why it's sin is because the enemy is doing everything he can to to whisper in your and get you to reject God um, in who you are. And like so one of the things that's at the very core of your being, which is your gender, um, and getting you to reject God at the core. And if he can do that to you at the core, then he can do it at every other level. So if you believe that there is a God and that he does need to be loved and he does need to be served, and you want to do that, you have to be aware that you don't really have much of a foundation to stand on to do that. So your this your split that you feel between being physically a man or you know emotionally or whatever a woman is not a result of god's creation but of adam's sin and that's also a result of the enemy lying to you and you can't buy that that's i'm sorry that's just not true and the the good news for you here is that you don't have to live in this split world where you're caught in between these two places where god made you physically a man but you're really a woman like that is really cruel of god to do in this case you know if and so the truth is that you were made to be male on all levels physically emotionally spiritually um and you've been lied to about that and you've been told to basically break yourself into pieces sort of like um i don't know if you're a fan of harry potter um, but when Voldemort uh, kills people, his his soul is split into Horcruxes, I guess. Uh, and I, I figured you might be a fan. Um, but basically, you know, you you're you're thinking that your soul is split, but that's not. No, stop it, back. <laughs> Sorry. Um, so your the split between your body and your soul is not the result of god it's it's the result of the enemy and it's also the result of the sin that lives inside you so i'm going to stop you here and tell you that that's not how it has to be you don't have to be um you don't have to be split you can be whole and that's what jesus comes to do he comes to unify and to make new and make whole um what has been what has been lost and broken in the fall um so you are very much man on all levels but god is not abandoning you to some kind of dichotomy or you know leaving you in this place god wants union with you and he wants 
you to reach out and to repent. And that's the other word that, that's used in the gospel, repent and believe. And repent means turn 180 degrees around on your rejection of God. So the call to you is not to not be who you are. It's, in fact, it's the very opposite. You are called to be who you were made to be and stop rejecting the truth of who you are. And that's the biggest, the biggest thing that I can tell you about receiving the gospel because you have not received the gospel if you still believe that you're split like this and that you're not whole um and they you know your your understanding is very flawed there are a lot of other issues i heard when you were talking about the bible um you could stand to benefit from reading some more um and i feel like there's a lot that you could learn um the point is that god does not call you to be opposed within your spirit and within who you are you're you're made for union with him, and he makes you whole, um, and he makes you holy by his son, Jesus. So my invitation to you is to receive that wholeness and to be healed by the sacrifice of Christ that comes to fix these problems that come from the fall. Um, so, you know, look, you, you, you need to understand it, it's, it's not, you can't get from the Bible. You can't just cherry pick and say, oh, I like this and I like this. Otherwise, none of it <laughs> means anything because any all of it's up to scrutiny. Um, so it's just it's just a matter of are you going to accept the truth that Jesus does love you, right? But also loves you enough to call you to repentance and say, you know, let go of these things that keep you from me and live in union with me the way that I intended to you. You know, be restored as the creation, like be made new. That's a big part of Christianity. So yeah. that's that's my call to you is to repent, to be made new by Jesus' grace and to to believe the news of the gospel that you you're made new and made whole by the forgiveness that God gives and has extended to us through the cross. And it's not everyone doesn't just get it by default. You have to you have to do the repenting here and now in order to get there. All right. Well, I could have interrupted you at any point during that extensive monologue, but I chose to let you continue because you were on a roll. Um, the actual person would have interrupted you at different points, but I just let you go because it was, it was you, you were heading in the right direction, so I wasn't going to do it. Do you like that? I, I, I did that enough and <laughs> earlier. Um, good job. You, you took the bait at a couple points, but that's okay. Um, that's why we do this here, so you can recognize the bait in real life and not take the bait. Um, what was what would be an example of the bait that I took? Uh, when when I did the made the Trump toady comment thing, and you got clearly mad. <laughs> oh yeah. The easy you, just just let that stuff roll over you, man. Who cares? Okay, I, yeah. you, you don't have to even say any. You don't even. You you don't even have to. You can pretend like that. Like I didn't even. Like I I say things like that when I'm talking to you guys. Intentionally try to get a rise out of you, so that you will practice not letting it get a rise out of you with someone who isn't serious. Right. Like that, that's the purpose. Like when I say things like, "Oh, you stupid Christians, you Trump toting, whatever, yeah. blah blah blah," because they're probably going to say something a lot more explicit. Right. <laughs> um, 
but yeah, just they're, they're, they're trying to, they're trying to shut down what you're saying and can't like delegitimize it by saying that it's, Oh, you're just like blah, blah, blah. You don't have to convince them that you're not by just tell it by telling them you're not just, you know, go, yeah. Even if you do make a comment about it, just be like, well, that's not me. And just move on. Um, but if you go, whoa, 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 wait, 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 wait. I never even say anything about Troy. Like you start doing that. Yeah. Yep. You, you took the bait. Okay. But, uh, yeah. Um, and, and, you, and you took the bait on the transgenderism thing as well, but you circled back around to, you mentioned at the end a lot of the things we had talked about earlier in the conversation, which showed that you were listening, which is good. Um, because you, you mentioned some of the things that I had said at the very beginning about the Bible and about my beliefs. Um, even though we had shifted subjects, you, you, you connected a lot of them together at the end, which is good. Yeah. So, Do you feel like, I, this is sort of something I've, I've had experience with, um, with, with some of the actual like unbelievers that I've spoken to, but like, it's, it is important to like, like, we, I think evangelicals overuse this word of meeting people where they are, um, and it kind of has lost its meaning. But I was trying to be like, I didn't want to just launch into the gospel with, in a way that didn't apply to your character. Um, yeah. So if I failed to cover the gospel adequately because I was focused on keeping it contextualized, to that's, that's my main concern towards the end was, did I go too far into the transgenderism thing? And tie the gospel too much to that, um, or did I did I keep it? Did I present the gospel in a way that was relevant but also not contingent to uh, the? Uh, no, I, I I think that you did a good job with that. Um, you know, because you, you tie like that's for that particular person. That's the reason they believe the other stuff. They got pushed into liberal Christianity because quote unquote they were bullied their whole life. Right. Yeah. And, and so that was their core issue. I mean, that's, that's why I built the character around that. And the other stuff I was just making up on the fly. Um, but the character was built that that was going to be their their chief problem. Um, that that's motivating their rebellion and unbelief is that. And I think you did a good job saying, hey, like, that's a product of the fall. Um, God did not make you to be that way. He, he made you as, as male and as a man. And that applies to every area of your life, not just to some, you know, vague, you know, spirituality or something. And Jesus is the solution to the way that you feel. Um, yeah. he, he, he both atones for the sin that you're doing right now and can bring genuine you know, a- actual, an actual solution to your yeah. problem. Um, so yeah, I, I, I thought it was a, yeah, I mean, that, that was, you know, where I expected that to lead, try, try to lead you to. So, yeah. Yes. So I did not fail like I did with Billy before. <laughs> no, I, I, I think, and to be fair, Billy was a lot more aggressive. Yeah. He was. Um, 
and, and threw out a lot more bait. But and there was a point there. I just, I honestly, I just got kind of tired of yeah. trying to be a very effeminate man. Yeah. <laughs> so I just stopped talking. It's, talking. it's, it's too, because like I, I visited CCF a couple of times, and I actually had a person that I met there, and I was like. Wow, I can see this. I can see myself talking to this person right now, because like I, I always have sort of wondered why people who are transgender or who are you know gay would even bother to show up to any kind of Christian thing. When like there has to be some knowledge somewhere within them that convicts them of their sin, and I think it's a huge work for the enemy to get Christians to not to really not love them by ignoring it and i just I, I i don't know i just had someone in mind when i was talking i guess i could see i could see who i was talking to for the first time so that might have helped a little bit yeah it was it was a very real person that you could very well meet yeah yep yep <laughs> all right I'll, I'll step off the stage yeah good stuff man thanks all right looks like we have um Big Banana 93 would like to talk with me, I think. Still here. Um, how do I can I let you up here? I don't know if I can. I cannot. Someone else has to do it. I do not have the authority. Oh, there he is. Hello, sir. Hello? Can you hear me? I can hear you. Okay, so I'm just making sure real quick that the stuff you were talking about wasn't real, right? Like trans and stuff. You you aren't trans, right? I am not. Okay, because it was about to be real messed up, like Christian, trans, and I was questioning. Anyways, so is it, could it be possible that Science and Christianity really aren't that different. Like, because science says that, you know, humans, like, over millions and millions and billions of years were made from atoms and stuff. But in the Bible, it says that it was made um, from the dirt. And then Eve was made from, like, a rib taken from Adam. So it's really not that different. I mean, there is the part where it's like, you know, over billions and billions of years versus God doing it in a matter of, like, seconds. But, um, I know that's the best guess they would have without, you know, God in the picture. So, can it be possible that that is technically what happened in short term? Like, Well, let's, let's unpack a couple of assumptions that are built into your question. So in order for the question to stand as it is, you have to assume a few things. One, you have to assume that science is uniform in its declarations about the origins of the universe. It's not. So when you say science says, well, there's not a, there, there's not a magisterium of science that speaks on behalf of, the, the, science has no prophet that speaks on behalf of it. It's not a yeah, ethereal like thing this. out there. So my dad is like a scientist and crap, and he's like he's like the most unchristian man you can meet. Like he moves in girls every like five days, bro. He's a scientist. He doesn't believe in God. 
what's his area grandma, of study? Um, science. Uh, like he believes in yeah, science. Yeah, there, there, there's not abstract areas. You don't just study science. You study well, yeah, okay. physics okay, or me, biology. Okay, yeah, yeah, okay. So he studies biology and he believes that humans are made and evolve and that God doesn't exist. Okay. Great. So none so, of those claims are biological claims. They're all philosophical ones. So they're not in his area of study. So you have no better reason to believe him. Actually, you have more reasons to believe me on the subject because I have a degree in philosophy and he doesn't. I have, well, actually, funny story. He has like many master's degree in philosophy. Happens to many master's them. degrees, really. Well, not. Well, I don't. He has something a lot. Yeah. So he has biology, um, tech that tech thing. Um, then like he has other ones, but it around them. Um, that's what they are about. Like, you know, what we are and like stuff like that. So my real question is, because my grandma's like the most holy person, like, not not real, but, you know, as a joke. Um, she's like, she like, every day we read like, I don't know, I knew about Because, and then my grandma like dislikes my dad. And so I was thinking, right, could science be like related to God? Like, you know, go. Well, science I mean, is related to God, but it's science done under the lordship and authority of Christ. What I mean by that is that if you walk into a science classroom, into a lab, uh, you know, what have you, and you conduct science under the assumption that there is no God, then you have undercut the ability to actually perform scientific study. Let me explain well, what yeah, I mean. But let, let me explain okay. what I mean. Yeah. Um, so science depends upon this principle that's a philosophical assumption called the uniformity of nature, namely that the future will, be, will in some way resemble the past. You're familiar, I'm sure, if you've been through school, with the scientific method, right? You form a hypothesis, then you, ex then you run an experiment to try to prove the hypothesis, then you do it again, and you do it again. And if it keeps producing the same results, then you're on to something. In order for you to eventually stop that process and say, I think we've nailed it, that every time we do A, B is going to be the result. In order for you to ever stop repeating and be sure, you know what, the next time I do A, it's going to do B. And I'm sure of that then you have to believe in what's called a philosophical assumption called the uniformity of nature, that the next time I do A, B will result. That is a assumption that you have to make. Now, that assumption relies upon the existence of God. Why? Because that means that nature is uniform. It means the natural world is going to be consistent across time. If you're an atheist, you have no reason to believe that that's the case. None. So the atheist is already out on a wrong foot when he tries to uh, when he tries to argue from a scientific perspective that God does not exist or tries to refute the Bible on that basis because his atheism actually is contrary to his science. So your friend who is an atheist and a, and a scientist is a living, walking contradiction in terms. His atheism is in conflict with his science. It does not prove it. In fact, it disproves it. 
but he doesn't realize it because he doesn't understand that science depends on philosophical assumptions that he has to believe in order to get it off the ground because they don't teach that anymore. They used to. Um, yeah, so, like, I mean, I know that they're pretty sturdy on the fact that we were made out of atoms over billions of years, and they can prove that over the fact of... That's not proven at all. No, it's but not. the theoretic... It's... it's Pretty proven until no, the first. Whoa, whoa, whoa! He can't have something that's pretty proven and then go. It's okay. science. Well, I would no, it pretty off. proven no, doesn't That's what count they teach in, in school. That's what. That's what they. See, I believe it until Which that school? Part, that goes along with the Bible. That still technically goes along with the Bible. It doesn't. But what doesn't is it doesn't. the fact that well, no, it does because no, it does made from the dirt. No. <laughs> He, he's not just made from dirt. And, and the Big Bang and, and evolutionary theory does not argue that we come out of dirt. It doesn't. I mean, um, nah, but I, I'm, I'm right, saying Right, so they're that not the same thing at all. It says in the Bible that Adam was, it did say that Adam was made from the ground or the dirt or something along the way. It, right? So, one, I think you need to go and reread Genesis 1 to 3. And I want you to do that. I didn't that. say that. Can I finish? Yeah. Sure. Great. I want you to go reread Genesis chapter 1 to chapter 3. And what I want you to see in it is that the narrative of Genesis 1 is trying to teach you something. It's not, this is what I was talking about at the beginning of the study. It, it's not just trying to describe scientific stuff to you though it is doing that it's describing a real event that in seven days god made all things okay well six and then he ceases creating on the seventh so in six days he makes everything the evolutionary naturalistic worldview says that something came from nothing and then collided together enough times to form everything these are radically different claims they are not consistent with each other and they cannot be consistent with each other they are not talking about the same reality or the same event and one can provide you consistency with which to do science and the other cannot both are philosophical claims about the world there's no it's not a science says it that's not a scientific study they've performed it isn't because you can't replicate the beginning of the universe so science makes no claims about the beginning of the universe because it can't. Because you cannot perform scientific study upon it. You have to make some kind of philosophical claim in order to talk about it. So when you read Genesis 1 to 3, and I want you to read all the way to chapter 3 because I want you to see that the creation of the world follows the things that I was laying out earlier. It follows the, 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 the story of the rest of reality, which atheistic quote-unquote science gets way wrong which is that all things are made for god's glory that god makes all things in order to write a story that rather than the random purposelessness that atheism would have rather christianity um, has this grand sweeping narrative that we are all little tiny ants on the stage of in which God is forming a people for himself out of rebellious sinners of whom you and I are. We belong to. We, are, we resemble our father Adam, not just in the dust that we're made of, but in our actions and our rebellion against our creator. 
and that that cr same creator has taken on that same dust to himself in order to live and die as an atoning sacrifice for our rebellion against him. That is a radically different claim than any scientific anything can make. And if that is true, it changes everything. And your grandmother is doing you a great service sticking your nose in a Bible. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, but, um, so I'm, I'm looking at my Bible right now, and I found the thing that says it. Now I'm going to like actually look for it in the Bible. But does it say that Adam was made from like the, the dust of the earth, the dirt, the, the ground? Does it say something about that? It does, and it says that he's not just formed of the dust of the ground, but that God breathes life into him. So he's not he, mere dust. Yeah, but... And that dust is formed by the words of God. So again, these are radically different claims that your atheistic scientific friend is making versus the claims of your much wiser gra grandmother and the Bible. Okay, so what I was, was like, what I'm thinking is like, it's kind of right in the fact that, because I know you're going to repeat yourself because I didn't understand it, but like, is it, is it kind of right in the fact that he was technically made from atoms, but God also did breathe life into him? It's like, there's the his school, it does teach that we were made from the ground, the atoms, and I search it up right now. It did say, you know, but searches are not always accurate. But for the most part, this is what I'm finding. This is what school is teaching me. And so I believe it up until the part where it says that, you know, over millions and something years, over natural selection, we finally were made. Okay. You know, I don't believe that part because, you know, I like to incorporate the Bible. In science, but I want to make sure it's accurate, which is why I'm here. So, because you're pretty smart. So, and I'm like not that smart. So, um, you know, so I don't believe it up until that part because that doesn't go along with the Bible. It says that, you know, from what you said, and I'm pretty sure what the Bible says, um, Adam was made from the ground with God's for breath or something along the lines of. That doesn't go along with the fact that we were made over millions of years. That goes with the fact that we were made in like seconds or minutes. So that is correct. Like so that's where like I would cut the line because it's like you know it kind of goes that we were made from atoms, but there's so it's kind of right, but also kind of wrong because we had God's breath, like you know we were created with God's breath of life too. So it's like kind of right. It's up until that you know because science can't really incorporate God because then people get mad and they're like yes that so you know because I mean that would make things so much more simpler if you were to incorporate God because you know there's some things we could just can't understand like I know one philosophical I if I'm pronouncing that right thing is that this universe has been um like you know over millions and millions of years and billions has just you know, been exploding and recreating over billions and millions of years. So obviously that is philosophical, and I do not believe that. I mean, I don't know if the Bible says anything of that, because... You know, it, it doesn't. Yeah, it, it sounds so. like 
you're you're heading in the right direction. I would encourage you to keep reading the Bible. Um, you know, it, start start with Genesis, read it, follow the story, it, and and try to understand what it says. Ask your grandmother um, along the way, and and read it co- cover to cover in the sense that start with Genesis one and go to Genesis fifty. Read the whole book together. Don't just read parts of it. Um, and try to ignore the chapter and verse numbers as you can, if you can, because they're not really uh, there in the original. And 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 try to to read it and understand, um, yeah, that what you said is correct. That the Bible does not support uh, billions and billions of and exploding and recreating and things like that. It doesn't support that, and neither does science. Um, that's yeah, not a science. Yeah, it is so, philosophical. You know, it's, right. it's like. You know, it's like stuff Stephen Hawking, you know, I, I know Stephen Hawking wrote something about that in his book, how it's been like, that's what they're thinking, but, and I read his book, some of them, because they're kind of interesting, but there are some points where I draw the line, because it's like, you know, no, a decent amount about the Bible, like, you know, I can't compare to some of the pastors at my church, like, they, you know, they know a lot more than I do, but from the things I do know, you know, like, I like to check stuff, and, you know, because I'm, I'm not the smartest man alive, so I, you know, I mean, I know, like, the stuff about, like, I I could argue about, like, all the stuff you're talking about, like, transgenders and everything, because that's more along the lines of what I like to talk about, because it's kind of fun debating with people about that, but this is stuff that, that, like, you know, I like to ask about, because I don't really know it, like, I can't ask my dad to explain it, because then he would go straight to science, I can't ask my grandma about it because she'll go straight to God, but there's no, I mean, which is kind of the right thing. No, that's absolutely yeah. correct. Yeah. Yeah. That's which exactly, is that's the exactly, right thing. Yeah. But I would like to also get the science part and see what science says about it. And if it matches a bit. Well, here. Yeah. So let let me. leave a little bit of it, but not let, all Let me it. send you some stuff then from people who are smarter than me and who are scientists. And you can give that a listen and they'll be able to, the, um, explain things. Also, do you think Jewish people go to heaven? Because that's a question I have. Like, you know, because they don't have the New Testament, so like, I, I, they have like what the first ten books of, which is like all the Old Testament. Or well, they something? have the first thirty-nine. 30, okay, well, <laughs> I was off by a bit. Okay, a little bit. So, um, um like. Do they go to heaven? Because I, I know the New Testament says the rules we follow to this day and what we should follow. If they if they repent and believe in Jesus as the God man, as the Messiah, then yes. He is the one way Jewish to the Father. People, do they believe that God rose from the dead? I don't think they do, right? Like he rose. If, if, the if they are following the Jewish religion, then they do not believe that. Okay. If they are ethnically Jewish then they could believe that, and some of them do. There's a difference between that. So uh, a, a person who's following Judaism as a religion, they're not Christians, so they don't believe in Jesus as their Savior. They don't haven't put their trust and faith in him. They haven't repented of their unbelief in Jesus, at the least. Um, and so, yeah, they, they would not be, be Christians, and so would not be yeah saved. Also, some mini-questions. Who is the guy in your like profile picture? Because it's just like just some <laughs> random question. I don't know. That's uh, is he's John Knox. He is a Scottish Presbyterian who was most famous for um, 
getting arrested for preaching the gospel in Scotland and then getting exiled from Scotland back in the um, 1500s. Uh, he was a reformer. Pretty cool dude. He would have killed me if he had his way, though, because I don't agree with him on baptism. So there's that. But hey, whatever. Wait, like, what a, wait, like what do you think about it? Huh? I agree with it. I mean, I kind of agree with baptism. Like, well, no, it doesn't no, really sorry, do much. Sorry, not that was not a helpful comment. Just, just ignore it. Um, no, just, all right, here, let, so, let me. You know, I, I did yeah. have a question about that too. Like, what? Why does baptism exist? Then I have one more question. Um, why does it? Like, I know my grandma told me about it, but I forgot. What is the reason for it? So baptism is uh, one commanded by Jesus. So that's like sufficient to for us to say, hey, we should do it. But more than that, what it does is it is a uh, both a sign and symbol of our union with Christ in his death, burial, and resurrection. So when you repent and put your trust in Christ as the uh, perfect life for you before God and the atoning death that satisfies God's wrath against you for your sins, then you are united to him. And that's what brings you salvation is your union with Christ as your new representative before God. Right now, your representative before God is that old Adam made of dust um, and all of his rebellion and curse. When you're united to Christ, you are transferred from being in Adam to being in Christ. And baptism is a, a picture of that union. And it's also a, uh, a declaration of war upon all of Christ's enemies. So you're saying, I, I, I belong to his team now. Um, you are uh, identifying yourself as a Christian in the activity of baptism and you're yeah you're, you're saying come and get me world flesh and the devil um i'm on the right side of history now <laughs> um so that's that's the the three things one it's commanded two it is a uh and then there, there's more i could go into but th this is the basic gist it's a, a declaration of warfare um that, that you are now committed to living a life of striving against the enemies of Christ. And uh, it is a picture, a physical playing out of your spiritual union with Christ. Okay. And I have one kind of big question. Actually. So what is the purpose of praying for someone? Cause I was thinking about it and it's like, I know it would be unfair, like, you know, God has a list and how many people pray for this person. He just moves up on like the, a list, quote unquote, of people he's going to bless or make better. You know, because that would be unfair. Is praying really just a way of showing loyalty that you believe in him and you hope he does something for that person? Is it just a loyalty thing or what, is, what does it do? Prayer 
is again one commanded. So you 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 pray. God tells you to pray. And he doesn't just tell you to pray, he also tells us how to pray. Um, both by straight, hey, here's how you pray, and by example of many people in the Bible and their prayers to God that we can model. The entire book of Psalms is uh, a book of songs that are also prayers. Um, and, and so so we have an entire prayer book from which to draw upon to pray to God. So he commands us to do it. And it is primarily, um, it's, it's foremost function. It's not about changing God. It's about changing us. Um, through prayer, we commune with God. We, 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 he has spoken in the world and in his word, and we are speaking back to him. Um, and it's not just asking for stuff. We can prayer, uh, pray prayers of, of gratitude. Um, in fact, we're told to do that, to, to be thankful to God and how it's, do we do that? We don't thank, you know, nothing. We pray and thank God um, for all that he has done for us and all that he has given. Um, we can pray prayers of adoration. Um, we see these in the Psalms where he just says, how great are you, God? You are awesome and mighty and powerful and, and your works uh, are astounding and you are filled with mercy and steadfast love for us. Um, so we have prayers of help we have prayers of thanks we have prayers of adoration um all these you can find examples of in the bible and and so when we do that we are meditating upon we're thinking about we are um speaking to god about god which then further transforms us um on this side of things um in terms of uh, of of our life, trying to live lives uh, in obedience to God. So we further we, we we see more clearly and more deeply all that God has given when we give thanks to Him. Um, we see how He works in the world when we ask for help and we see a, an actual response. We see something sort itself out by His providence in which He has ordered the world, um, and and we. Uh, yeah, so, so that's the gist. Mm-hmm. There's a lot okay. of stuff. Sorry, <laughs> I, I, I could yeah. talk more about prayer. It's a big subject, yeah. but that's I got the basic understanding. And yeah. now <laughs> I have even more questions. So, what was it like? You know, because like, I'm only I just turned thirteen. Okay? <laughs> I'm allowed to own Discord. Actually, wait, Discord's been. Anyways, so like. What I'm saying is that, um, you know, what was it like growing up? Like, what is college like? What is everything like? And how do you think it related? Like, do you think that God helped you in any way through your life? Like, just like, you know, I believe in God and that's what, why I raise my head every day and I'm not sad. Sorry, run that by me one more time, just like so make sure okay. I understand. Yeah, because I explained that really bad. Let me let me th- say it in a way that's understandable, not like a five year old. Um, no, it, it's okay. Yeah, just, uh, I'm an old man, so nine thirty is a little bit late for me. So just uh, yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. Then I'll just get to my main question. 
they have a lot of like gay trans people that are friends with, but they they always bring up you know homophobic or something. Like what do they say about that? Because you know I and they and they always bring that. Oh, you're Christian, you're homophobic, right? And it's kind of it's kind of annoying because you know I, I see I know that it's a sin, but what do I say to them? Because I know it's a sin, but I don't hate the person. I hate the sin, but I don't hate the person. Yeah, but they always misunderstand that. What do I say to them? Because they always misunderstand that and say, "Oh, God hates me because I'm gay." Like, no, He doesn't. Hate me. He hates the sin. Well, I mean, I, I, I wouldn't be around the bush with them at all. I'd say, um, actually, that you know that God is very kind and gracious to you because you're still breathing right now while you are speaking rebellion against Him. They actually do know that God cares for them because right now they are sinning against him and he hasn't struck them down as he rightly could do. And, and then from there, it's, you, you, you need to turn from this wickedness. You are, in, you are kicking against your creator right now in the way you're living and in what you're believing. And God has a better way. He made you to be in communion with him. And the only way is for them to turn and trust in Jesus Christ and his sacrifice and his life. That's the only way. Um, and, and that involves them giving up their sin. Yeah. But a lot of the people that I'm friends with, or like you just explained, like, you know, like the example you gave when, um, like that one guy was up there, they were exactly like that in the, reason mm-hmm. i'm friends with them is because they are pretty nice i mean you know they're sensitive a bit but they are good people you know they, they help other people out and that's why i'm friends with them because i like to surround myself with good people for the most part um so it's kind of like well, you know that they you know they're a little sensitive like god hates me and they're exactly like you explain like you know i just and i know if i just listened more i could do exactly what that guy said because for the most part he was on point with exactly how I should explain it and you were on point with exactly how they act yeah I I would encourage you then you know go back and when this goes up on the recording go back to that you know skip ahead to that conversation and listen to it again and listen to how he handled things I think he did a really good job and he's you know in the grand scheme he's not much older than you um and was able to do that so um you can do it as well i i just you know one of the things that you've got to get before you can really do that kind of thing is you have to have the root of the matter in yourself what i mean by that is that you you, i've been saying this i guess for a few weeks now but i think this is your first time back in a a minute um was that uh before you go out and talk to other people you need to make sure that that you understand the gospel, that you believe it, that you're trusting in Christ, that, that, that you have peace with God through what he has done for us in the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. You got to make sure you got a good grasp on that. You understand it because if you don't, then when you're in that conversation, when you are presented with those uh, challenges, then you won't have a good answer for them because the answer, the solution to those challenges, to the things that they say is only found in the gospel. Like I got the logic part, but I don't got the proof part. It's like when you know the statement, but you don't like 
if I were to say something from the Bible, and then someone says where, like you know, I can't say where. I mean, well, that's why I, you, you you need to know, like that. That's a matter of study. Oh, you, you, you got you got to dig your heels in and read read the book. <laughs> How long do you think it would take to read the whole Bible? It takes seventy three hours if you're. 72 to 73 hours. That's how long the audio books typically are of the Bible. It's actually not that long when you think about it. Three days. I mean, that's actually kind of funny, isn't it? It takes three days to read it out loud. And, you know, it's kind of a big deal in the Bible. Jesus being, you know, dead for three days, rising. Anyway. I hear a lot of people saying, like, you know, why does God allow, you know, rapists and having an everything childhood? And, you know, I know how to say it. You know, like, yeah. obviously, it's because, you know, they repented, but people just so, don't understand. You know, they're still pedophiles and everything. Like, I mean, I mean, they change, though. They're not anymore. Some people also just do not understand and don't give people a second chance. Like, yeah. What, what am I um, supposed to say about that either? Well, th- that's that's their problem. If, if someone's, you know, one, um, we, we should guard children. Okay, so let me put that out there. A repentant pedophile still needs to, you know, not be unattended near children. Even if we have good reasons to believe he's genuinely repentant, has become a Christian, has received forgiveness for his sins, um, we we don't leave him alone with, we we don't let him watch the kids during Sunday school or something, you know? Like, Uh okay. um, That's how we have to operate in a fallen world and with the you know, being in a situation that we're in. Um, but it just, if they don't believe that someone can change, then they don't believe in Christianity. That's just straight up. That's the end of it. They don't. Um, but I'm going to have to cut you off here because we, we, we got to wrap this up. Um, oh, I would yeah, encourage you, we have lots of recordings. If you look up on the podcast, Random Topics Apologetics, I probably have answered in hour-long things a lot of the questions that you have. I also gave you some links down in Christian media. I, I, I pinged you down there. Stuff for you to read or listen to. Um, but most importantly, read the Bible and believe the gospel. Those are the two things that you need. All right. But okay, good questions. And yeah, no problem. And th- thanks for coming on and asking, asking some good questions. Have a good night. You too. All right. Um, let me pray and we will officially close so that Justin can turn the recording off and he doesn't have to spend five hours uploading (laughs) a very large recording. Um, Yeah. Sorry, buddy. But it was some important stuff, so I'm glad that it made it on there. All right. Let's pray. Lord, I'm so thankful that you give us sound truth and answers, um, a ready response, and that by your spirit you've helped us uh, and have changed our hearts to believe in you, to trust in you, see Christ in your word. Help us to know him more every day. Amen. <laughs>